For those of you who were here last night, who was the um, uh, kind of the, the, the South Carolina group, that kind of folk rock thing? What was the name of that group? Need to Breathe. That was my first. All you guys with Bibles, just sit tight here for a second here. And I know you don't like to be looked at. But um, there was kind of a new exposure to me for all three of the, the groups that were there last night. They were fabulous. I really liked that. So that was um, great. I don't know why I had a need to tell you that. But um, it, was, it was just a good night last night, and it will be this evening too. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Sunday morning, we're studying the 1 Corinthians together in a series entitled um, Christian Living in a Pagan World. If you're here and you don't have a Bible... Uh, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. Just wave and get their attention. They'll get a Bible into your hands. And that way you can read the Word of God, hear it as well. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Single verse this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Let's pray together. We love your word, Lord. We love your voice and your word. And we've come just to hear right from your throne today by your Holy Spirit through your word. Again, here we stand before you this week and It's been a week of so much talking and so much noise and so much has come in the eye gate and so much has come in the ear gate and so much has pounded our minds and our hearts and our spirits. And we're so thankful to be able to turn to your word and to hear your voice, Lord. We treasure your voice. And we realize as we turn to your word, we're turning to the purest and the um, absolutely most flawless ways that we have to hear your voice. And we just ask that your spirit would come upon us fresh right now and give us a supernatural capacity to hear your voice through your word to our individual lives today. And we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In verse 12, the phrase, all things are lawful or permissible to me, was a very, very popular saying among the um, carnal Christians who made up the church there in the city of Corinth. We don't know uh, dogmatically what the origin of the saying came from. It might have had a a secular origin in Corinth, uh, might have come into the city and become popular, having its origin in some uh, philosopher, or maybe it came out of the pop culture of Corinth in that day. We tend to think that pop culture is a new invention. It isn't a new invention. This kind of thing has been going on forever and ever It's also very likely, and perhaps most likely, that these Corinthian Christians had taken Paul's teaching that we as Christians are freed from the ceremonial laws of Moses and that we are under grace to mean that 
we are free then to live any kind of life that we choose. And so it might be something that they fashioned, all things are lawful for me. And perhaps these Corinthian Christians were convincing themselves, as so many are today, that the most powerful advertisement for Christianity in the city of Corinth is not to emphasize holiness or to emphasize uh, obedience to the Word of God, but the most powerful advertisement for Christianity, the most attractive means by which to draw unsaved Corinthians to desire to become Christians is instead to emphasize our liberties as Christians. And this is a very strong and growing trend within Christianity in the United States of America today, where there is tucked away in people's hearts and a lot of leaders' hearts because they're leading people down this path, this idea of feeling compelled to speak to a pagan culture and say, listen, we're a new breed of Christians. Uh, We don't have the same concern for holiness or obedience or adhering to the more strict elements related to Christianity as former generations did. We don't think that will work in Corinth. We don't think that will work in the culture of the United States of America today. What we think will make be most attractive to you is to let you know that we're very strong in our liberties and to let you know that we're really not very much different from you except that we're saved and we're on our way to heaven. Whatever the origin of the saying, what we do know is that the members of the church at Corinth, they were using the slogan as a definitive statement concerning the broadness of Christian liberty, that they could live pretty much however they chose to live without any restriction. Now, Paul, uh, when he affirms in verse 12 that all things are lawful for me as a Christian, we know that he can't be saying that in an absolute sense. You say, how do we know that? Because just a few verses earlier, in verses 9 and 10 in the same chapter, he listed quite a number of sins that he said were not lawful for a Christian to commit. And so when he affirms that all things are lawful for me, he's not referring to sin. What he's referring to are Christian liberties, We do not have the liberty to choose to live a life of sin as a Christian. But there are many, many activities in life that fall into the realm of Christian liberty for Christians. Things that are morally indifferent. They're not encouraged in Scripture. They are not prohibited in Scripture. In the early church, there was a great kind of a dispute in terms of Christian liberty that was going on related to the eating of pork. And some Christians felt that you could eat pork and some felt that you couldn't eat pork. And why would they believe that you couldn't eat pork? Except for the fact that they were influenced by the law of Moses. For under the law of Moses, the eating of pork, any part of a pig, was uh, absolutely uh, prohibited. And so 
What about this new covenant? Now we're Christians and all. Can you eat pork? Can you not eat pork? And so it was a hot topic. But the fact of the matter was, and it's still true concerning Christians, it doesn't matter to God one bit whether we eat pork or whether we don't eat pork. A Christian has complete freedom uh, to eat pork if they want to. This is much to the relief of a portion of our audience here today um, who are thinking about breakfast while I was talking about pork. So these were the things they were dealing with 2,000 years ago in terms of Christian liberty, debating, trying to figure out. Today, the kind of liberties that we deal with would include watching television, uh, listening to the radio, watching movies, uh, reading secular books, having a hobby in my life, and so forth. And we all need to realize, related to any liberty that we have, and all of those things are liberties that we have as Christians, that we can take any liberty and then cross a line related to that liberty, and that liberty no longer is a liberty, but now it is out-and-out sin. For example, if I'm watching television, which I have complete liberty to do as a Christian, as you do as well, I have complete liberty to do that or to watch a movie. But if I'm watching television or a movie and a line gets crossed in terms of the content and now the content is immoral, now that's no longer in the realm of liberty. That's in the realm of sin and there isn't really any freedom then to continue to partake in in that activity. That's sin. But beyond what is sinful, beyond that, there's tremendous liberty in these areas in our life to watch movies or to watch sports or the news or cooking channels or uh, whatever else there might be. Now, I want us just to take a moment to consider how most of us as Christians uh, define liberties. There's two, I would say, two very large camps within Christianity who um, each will take kind of a polar opposite view related to Christian liberty. You have the legalist who looks at life and says, everything is wrong and everything is forbidden in the Christian life unless you can show me a verse from the Scripture that it is right to participate in it. And if you can't show me a verse that says we're to do that, then uh, then all of every, everything else that we're supposed to participate in, then everything else that isn't mentioned in this kind of a positive light, everything that the Bible is silent on, then it is wrong. Now, that's a very negative approach to life. And that's a very, very negative approach to Christianity. And what it ends up doing is producing a far more restrictive life than God intends. And that particular position or that particular view is too extreme because the fact of the matter is there are many things that the Bible makes no mention of that we have the freedom to enjoy. We can enjoy an ice cream cone. We can enjoy going to a rodeo. We can, we can own a pet. There is no view of the Scripture on owning a pet. There's nothing that the Bible speaks to related to dating specifically or whether we part our hair down the middle or on the side. Then there's another group of Christians, and they come at Christianity from a completely different angle. 
and they say, God has made the world and He's made everything in it and thus everything is good and lawful to practice and to enjoy as a liberty unless God's Word specifically prohibits it or calls it wrong. If He doesn't call it wrong, then we're free to engage in it. And the Apostle Paul affirms this particular view to be correct, but only correct as far as it goes. But he goes on then to declare that that's not the highest or the best way to live the Christian life. And this second group, they're the better of the two groups, the better of the two tracks. But Paul says there's a third way and a better way to view our liberties and then to decide whether or not we want to live our lives completely dominated by or focused on our liberties as Christians as opposed to kind of exploring the full richness and depth of, of the Christian life and of Christianity. And so Paul now unfolds for us in this verse and one other verse in chapter 10, which we'll get to in a moment. He unfolds an absolutely priceless insight on how not to waste our life focused completely upon our liberties as Christians, but instead on how to enter into and experience the Christianity that he lived, one that gave uh, absolutely no place to legalism. Paul never gave a place to legalism in his life. But Paul also wasn't interested in spending his life seeing how much Christian liberty he could experience as a Christian either. And I think this is very, very important today because so many Christians, and it's a growing group today, and especially among those who are younger, but it's not, um, you know, completely limited to them, where they seem to have made it a goal of their Christian life to experience and live their lives dominated by and focused upon their Christian liberties. And they have this, show me a verse that says this is wrong or leave me alone, that kind of a Christianity. And what they don't realize is they're experiencing Christianity, yes, but at its shallowest and at its most superficial And what they don't realize is they're not coming anywhere close to experiencing the Christianity that the Apostle Paul experienced, nor are they coming close to experiencing the life of Christ. Now, notice the grid or the standard that the Apostle Paul ran everything in his life through to determine whether he would allow it to become an influence in his life or a focus of his life or to allow even a liberty to become a part of his life. When the Apostle Paul looked at Christian liberty, he didn't automatically say, I'm going to engage in that. I'm going to give that a dominant place in my life. Being lawful or being something that we have a liberty to do as Christians, that wasn't a high enough standard for the Apostle Paul. For him, that was just the starting point. 
And he then took every Christian liberty that he had and he ran them through a grid of three stricter tests. And if it didn't pass that test, then he didn't want to invest his life or his time in it, though it constituted a liberty. And that's something that's very, very valuable for us to hear as Christians today. As people who believe that, yes, it's true, only one life to live will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. You notice the grid in verse 12 that he ran even his Christian liberties through. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. That is, something may be lawful for me to do as a Christian, yet it isn't helpful. And Paul asked himself of everything he allowed to become a focus in his life and that he was about to receive as something he was going to invest time in, he asked it the question, will this help me spiritually? And if it didn't, then he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Well, there are all manner of things that we have perfect liberty to engage in as Christians, but they don't help us grow spiritually. The great uh, punching bag for any preacher related to this and the most obvious illustration to make would be um, television, this modern phenomenon called television. For instance, if you were to go to the Nielsen ratings, which um, track how much television everybody watches or how much television we watch as individuals in the United States of America, what shows we watch, um, all the, I mean, the whole uh, kind of their ability to put together kind of a composite related to age groups and the nation as a whole as it relates to television. The latest data from Nielsen Report on the subject reports that the average American over the age of two, watches 34 hours of television a week. Plus, that's live television. That's not what gets taped on the DVD or taped in another way. It's 34 hours of live television plus another three to six hours of taped programs a week. So 40 hours of television a week And that doesn't count the amount of time that is then spent watching DVDs or downloading movies from Netflix or how much time is spent uh, playing video games. Now, all of this from a nation where when you talk to people about how much television they watch or you see some celebrity being interviewed on television and there's a, oh, I hardly watch any television. This is, you ask about anybody on it. Oh, Oh, what an inane instrument. What a perfectly useless and and terrible waste of time. I don't know. If it weren't for sports and news, we'd never turn the thing on. But we're kidding ourselves as a nation. We watch a lot of television as citizens of the United States of America. Now, can a Christian watch 40 hours worth of television every week that's lawful to watch and isn't sin-filled? Can you find 40 hours worth of lawful programming to watch as a Christian on television? Yes, there's 3,000 channels. 
some satellite package or whatever it might be. Yes, any of us can watch 40 hours of television a week as Christians and it would be completely within the realm of our liberty. But the greater question is, can a Christian spend 40 hours each week in front of the television and still be faithful to God's call upon our lives? And ultimately here, well done, our good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. There's something to think about, really. Sometimes I think we just think that um, by virtue of steering clear of sin that we're going to hear, well done, our good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. So you take our day, and uh, most of us spend one-third of our day um, sleeping. We spend another third of our day of necessity, at least a third of our day, we spend it at work. And then if the Nielsen report is uh, accurate at all, then for the average American, six out of the remaining hours in the day are spent watching television. By the time you add uh, what is required to wolf down three meals a day and run a few errands and make a few phone calls, we can see how a liberty has completely crowded God out of the life of a Christian who is engaging in this liberty in this kind of a way. Think about how many how many hours per day or week or month or per year or per lifetime can we invest in the liberty called television and still hear that well done from the Lord? I don't know, but it's something to think about. And it certainly makes Paul's point that for the serious Christian, even our liberties need to be examined and they need to be monitored. And the interesting thing about Paul here is he doesn't give them a law related to liberties concerning or concerning television because Paul doesn't want to push Christianity one inch toward legalism. He doesn't say now about this and about this. I've heard about you Corinthians, what you're doing with your liberties, and a no here and this much time here, and then a yes here and a but here and all that. And he could have listed it and done 200 pages of that. And he doesn't do it. Because Paul came out of a very legalistic background, and he knew that if he did that in this passage, that the legalists would then take hold of that hijack Christianity and turn it into something that it was not intended to be and Jesus never died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day in order to create. But he does want us, he wants us to possess all of the liberty that we do, but he also wants us on an individual basis to be very discerning and spiritual about how we view and use those liberties. All things are lawful for me, but not everything is helpful to me spiritually that is to my spiritual growth or helping me and deepening my relationship with the Lord or helping me fulfill God's call upon my life. I have a friend who is... um, I had the pleasure of traveling to India with him with a larger group a number of years ago. And we went there to serve in some capacity related to gospel for Asia. 
And we had the privilege of being there at a time when Dr. K.P. O'Hannon was there as well, and he happened to be in the South where we were. We were able to enjoy uh, several uh, dinners and breakfasts with him. And people, everybody got a chance to pose questions to him about ministry and about all kinds of different things. And it was a fabulous time uh, of, of fellowship. And in the course of one of our discussions at the meals, uh, my friend, uh, and we, we spent a day together a while back here now, and we got a chance to rehash through all of this, but my friend asked him, he said, after listening to KP, his schedule, and you, what you got to know about KP is KP's like the Apostle Paul. It was all the Lord. All, it, it's all the Lord in the kingdom of God. He's only taken one vacation in his whole life. That was because the board made him. The GFA made him take a week off. They put him and his wife, Gisela, on a cruise ship. He probably went crazy. The whole world is what he's used to operating in. They stuck him on that for a week. Never taken a vacation since. Obviously, he has other ways that he builds margins into his life both spiritually and physically, emotionally and mentally. But my friend, as he was listening to KP and the degree of commitment that he had to the things of the Lord, my friend said to him, um, asked, what do you do for fun? And as we were rehashing this recently, my friend who is now 20, 25 years older, I'm not, but my friend is, kind of giggled and he kind of laughed and he said, I can't believe that I asked him that. Because now he's in a place in life where there is a lot more life behind him than there is life in front of him. And so as he looks at Dr. KP's life, and the choices and the decisions that he has made, not just related to sin, but related to liberty. He looks at it and he says, better late than never, but I understand why KP is the way he is and why he lives the life that he uh, lives. And you come to that place in life, I think, as we mature sooner or later, where we realize we don't want to invest our whole life in our liberties. Freedom to do it, yes. End up in heaven one day, yes. No doubt about it. But more and more we want to invest our life into those things that are helpful in going deep in the Christian life. The second grid or the second standard that Paul ran his liberties through, also in verse 12, he said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul went even further in testing his liberties by determining not to allow any liberty in his life that would enslave him or would bring him under its influence or under its power. And everybody is different in this regard. And this is why Paul poses it by the Holy Spirit the way that he does in verse 12 and doesn't list a whole group of do's and don'ts related to this. One Christian can engage in a certain liberty and remain completely free of that liberty. 
and then another Christian engage in that very same liberty, and that liberty will attempt to take over the control of his life. God doesn't want to prohibit that liberty for everyone. Again, that would nudge Christianity toward legalism. Paul has no interest in that. But the person who is in danger of coming under the control of a liberty will need to exercise Paul's higher standard for what he allows into his life as uh, than just what is lawful. And any liberty that would bring him under its power, he needs to put far away from him. You say, give me an example. I'll give you a real good one. The drinking of alcohol. There's a liberty there for Christians. I know that there's a lot of people that want to somehow work the Scriptures to say that a Christian cannot, absolutely cannot drink alcohol, cannot touch their lips. You can't build that case biblically. You can't do it. Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your constant stomach infirmities. The wine that they drank 2,000 years ago, it didn't have the alcohol level that most of our wines have today, but it was fermented and it had alcohol within it. So as much as some of us might look to, want to say, take that liberty away from everyone because we see uh, have grown up in a home or we have seen the destructiveness of alcohol in so many lives that we'd just like to make everything better for everyone by prohibiting. The fact of the matter is, in the Bible, for a Christian, there is liberty there. Not the liberty to become drunk or to come under the influence of alcohol, but there is a liberty to have a glass of wine with dinner or something like that. But if you're a Christian who struggles with alcohol, then that's a liberty you better avoid. Perfect freedom to engage in it in a technical sense related to the Scriptures, but it will bring you under its power. Or if you're living in a culture wherein for you to even drink a drop of alcohol would destroy your Christian witness before the unsaved in that city, then that is a liberty to avoid. Or if God has a call upon your life in which to partake of alcohol would stumble another Christian, some child, some youth that would see you drinking alcohol, then it is much more spiritual to forego my liberty for their sake. And I think that every Christian who has any sensitivity to the Holy Spirit at all, we become aware when some liberty is trying to take control of our lives, to take our focus and our attention off of God and His call upon our lives, and then make some liberty the focus of our lives, to make some liberty the highest priority in our lives. And it can be a hobby. It can be some other kind of interest where it becomes consuming in our lives. And now I sit down in the morning to open up my Bible, to spend time quietly with God, to commune with Him, deepen my relationship with Him, and to pray. And now that liberty has joined the conversation. 
and it's trying to take control of my life and my thought. It wants to become the most dominant influence in my life. It can, it can be all manner of things, but it intrudes into this kind of a place where I find myself now where I'm having to fight it because it's wanting to take over my life and consume my thoughts and my time, even the time that I consider most sacred in life. And then a liberty can come into a person's life. A Christian has complete freedom to engage in it. But it becomes so consuming to them that it becomes more important to them than their quiet time. And now in order to accommodate this new interest, their quiet time becomes sporadic. This is called idolatry. Liberties can become idols. Now the quiet time becomes sporadic. And in some cases, the person becomes so consumed with a liberty and engaging in it that pretty soon there's no quiet time with the Lord at all. This is elevated to the throne of their life, though a, a liberty. And that can be a daily newspaper. That can be a crossword puzzle or it can be golf or it can be any number of things. Or if we do manage to maintain our devotional life, we find ourselves, because of this liberty, spending the entire time working so hard to try and stay focused on the things of the Lord because this liberty keeps trying to barge into the room of my mind and my relationship with the Lord. Or it can be when some hobby or some interest now has you missing church on a regular basis. It's elevated itself now. It now has the power in your life that once belonged to God. It does the dictating. So people begin to get sporadic related to church attendance. And rather than coming and giving God all of the praise and the honor and the glory that He deserves on our part, and then, and, and then instead of you bringing how the unique gifting and calling that God has in, on your life into the assembly together of the saints for the edifying of a local church, all of that is gone and taken away by some liberty, by some hobby, by some interest of that kind. In some people's life, Christians' life, it can be politics. And of course, as Christians, we have a liberty to follow politics. We have a liberty to have political opinions. Certainly do. And while one Christian can dabble in politics and not become consumed by it, there's another Christian who comes under its control almost instantly. And they end up alienating all of their friends and all of their family, not over the gospel, but over political positions that they hold. And in many cases, burn a bridge to ever being able to share the only thing that matters in life, the gospel, with the people that we know and that we love. Or talk radio has now crowded out Christian radio or Bible study tapes that used to be our daily portion. And it becomes an addiction, perfectly lawful, perfectly lawful, complete liberty to engage in it. But for you, it brings you under its power. And it begins now to compete with the voice of the Holy Spirit 
in your life. And now your life is anxious and worried about every single thing that's going on in the world instead of enjoying the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. We have tremendous liberty as Christians, but if that liberty begins to take control of our lives, then that liberty is not for us. And I think that so often for us as Christians, certainly in this age, we are conscious of the fact that there is an addictive nature to sin. But then we fail to realize that for each of us, there can also be an addictive nature even to liberties. The third part of the grid that Paul ran his liberties through is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. And he writes there, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. And then here it is. Chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, he said, but not all things edify. And the word edify means to build me up spiritually. Of everything in life, Paul asks a simple question of it, even of his liberties as a Christian. He asks, will this build me up spiritually? And if it didn't, out it went. That's crazy. He's a fanatic. Nobody can live that way. And there is a carnal Christian from Adam that lives inside of me and lives inside of every single one of us that as we would read this grid that Paul put his liberties to to just say, that's a fanatic, that's a crazy kind of category to put people in. Don't expect me to run my liberties through the same grid. I have no interest in living that kind of a life. I don't think it's even healthy, (laughs) some people might say. Well, maybe it is crazy. And maybe it is fanatical, but I'll tell you, without it, there wouldn't have been the Apostle Paul that we've come to know and to love and to respect in the Scriptures. Maybe without this grid in his life, he would have ended up spending the rest of his life post-conversion, sitting on a couch in a living room in Tarsus, with one of ten remotes in the living room in his hand for the rest of his life, frittering it away completely with liberties. I just want to close with a couple of applications. So much of the quality and the depth of our Christian life in this life and so much of what is required one day to hear that well done from Jesus, is dependent not only upon the proper handling of sin in our lives as Christians, but also the proper handling of our Christian liberties. And in this verse, Paul shows us the way to do it without becoming a legalist. How to do it with the wisdom and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Like the Christians in Corinth, today there are so many Christians 
And again, in my humble opinion and my observation, this is a growing trend and a growing group. But there are so many Christians today who spend their whole life focusing on and committed to experiencing their liberties. And I look at them and I think to myself, I wish they had half that zeal for their relationship with the Lord. And they do so not realizing that that is the focus and their attitude, not of the, their whole focus is on their liberties, not on a deep, being a deep Christian, possessing a deep commitment to God in his work in the world but a Christian who is completely consumed by their liberties and does not allow them to be tested by these greater things is doomed to become a carnal Christian and utterly fritter their life away, engaging in what is absolutely lawful. They will win every argument that you can ever have with them about considering something different, but they are engaging merely in what is lawful and not in what is spiritual. And you try to talk to them about it, and they say, it's okay for me to do. Just show me one verse that prohibits it. Okay. What can I do if you think that's as high and as deep as Christianity goes? But here in this verse, Paul gives us a beautiful autobiographical statement and he gives us insight into what made him tick as a Christian and as a servant of the Lord. In the book of Acts, we read of Paul's life and of his ministry and there we read of the who, what, where, when of his life. Went to this city and that city and this happened there and that happened there and he preached this and he did this. And as we read all of that, for the person that is, loves the Lord and wants to go deep in the things of the Lord, we read all of that and we can't help but just give God praise for the life of the Apostle Paul and admire his commitment and marvel at the fruitfulness of just one single life. We marvel at his life. But the book of Acts gives us the facts. It doesn't tell us what made him tick. The book of Acts doesn't tell us what Paul thought about. What Paul, what went into Paul's decision-making in his life to produce a life that was so beautiful and so committed and so fruitful. For that were dependent completely upon the epistles and the Holy Spirit touching the Apostle Paul to give us some revelation of his inner life so that we know where did that come from because wherever that came from, that's where I want to camp and that's where I want my Christian life to flow out of. And you get a guy like the Apostle Paul and we read through the epistles and he gives us these autobiographical statements, these things that he reveals the deeper things of his life between him and the Lord to us. Paul was not a guy. He's like an older man. 
An older man doesn't just walk into a room and just kind of throw everything out on you. The older a person gets, the more you have to ask them questions to pry anything out of them. More and more becomes personal. More and more becomes private. And it took the Holy Spirit of God to move upon a man like the Apostle Paul to then take something from the inner sanctuary of his own relationship with God and to speak to a group of carnal Christians and say, let me talk to you a little bit about thinking about this a little different way. And then for them, if they're so inclined, to put one plus one together and say, this is what's required to have that kind of life in contrast to the quality of Christianity that I'm experiencing. I'm telling you, and the point that I'm trying to make here is, these autobiographical statements of Paul in the epistles are priceless. And this one is priceless as well. As Paul communicates to us in essence, to those that want the kind of life that he lived, to have that kind of fruitfulness in the little place that God has put us, to say, I want to know and I want to serve God in that way, And Paul says, here's what you need to understand. That one of the keys to so spiritual and fruitful of a life is found not only in saying no to the bad in order to experience the good, but also in saying no to the good in order to experience the best. And the way that that is done is by asking even concerning our liberties within our lives. Does this help me spiritually? Could this bring me under its power? Or has this liberty brought me under its power? And third, does this build me up spiritually? Did the Apostle Paul have any regret over having lived this deeper and stricter Christian life. No, he didn't. He writes at the very end of his life in his second epistle to Timothy, and he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And that is something that a carnal Christian would love to say at the end of their life, but will not be able to say. They will be willing to give their right and their left arm to be able to say it in the waning weeks and months and hours of their life and know that it's too late to compile that kind of a life. And the Apostle Paul desires to spare every single one of us the regret of that experience in this life 
to say nothing of the loss and the life to come. But I think it's very good to have this verse in the mix concerning our decisions in life that the Bible doesn't address specifically or constitutes a liberty. May it be a blessing to our lives, to our walk with the Lord, to our Christian service. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we don't need to tell you that we live in a Corinthian age. We don't need to tell you that the spirit of Corinth has infiltrated professing Christianity in a frightening measure. But we can't speak to all of that, Lord. We pray that under the weight and the beauty, the purifying influence of your word right now, that you would search our individual hearts concerning our use of liberties. Thank you, Lord, for touching a man like the Apostle Paul and having him bring out of the storehouse of what is sacred, what he learned and happened between you and him to make himself share something like this make himself so vulnerable to a group of people that he knew had a very high probability of laughing at him and rejecting what it is that he had learned between you and him. But we thank you today that you prompted him to put it in the pages of Scripture, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that every single thing, every single liberty that we're engaging in or if we are as Christians completely consumed with liberty rather than with your calling, with fruitfulness, Lord, with that well done, that this passage would just burn that liberty away out of our lives, that we'd cast it away for the dangerous thing that it is, Lord. And so just let it search us and refine us, we pray this morning. And we pray too that you would use this verse to protect us between now and the day that we stand in heaven with you from allowing us to ever slip down into so shallow and so pitiful a Christian life as one that majors on liberties instead of the height and the depth and the beauty, Lord, and the substance of what is ours in Christ. We look to you for that work of your Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. And Lord, we confess as a church body and we confess individually that all that is important to us is that well done, Lord. Protect us, even from our liberties that would keep us from hearing that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.